I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to this edition of Voices from the Archives, the Irish Life and Lore series. I'm Morris O'Keefe and this week's edition is The Landed Gentry in Ireland. I've selected segments from interviews made with descendants of the landed gentry families. And this is a fascinating collection and all the interviews are available to see on our website. That's irishlifeandlore.com. So let's get started. Barmead Castle stands proudly on the slopes of a wooden hillside in County Loud. It was originally built in the 15th century and the Bellew family have lived there since 1670. I spoke to Lord and Lady Bellew. This is a magnificent place. It's a beautiful uh, cascaded house. Uh, well, can I explain the house yes, to you? It, it was the name Barmead is actually derived from the Gaelic Bianamirna, which means Maeve's Passage. And it was a tar house belonging to the Moore family. And the Bellew, do you want me to explain how we yes. acquired it? Yes, please. The Bellew, um, who lived in Lyle, John Bellew, um, was banished to um, Galway by Cromwell, having fought against Cromwell. And he got a third of his land in Galway, Mount Bellew. Mm. And even though he fought against Cromwell, well, the, 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 the rule was that you either got executed or you went went to Connaught. So it was probably more advantageous to go to Connaught. And on the restoration of Charles II, he left his younger son behind, Christopher, and he came back to Louth to try and get back his land. Mm. And he was a trained lawyer. He trained in London. And he worked for a distant cousin, the head of the Taft family, um, Lord Carlingford. And Lord Carlingford was a close friend of Charles II's and had the job of looking after his um, mistresses and illegitimate children. And... John Bellew had an enormous... He went round these courts and John Bellew had an enormous advantage because he could give, get the king's signature on the documents through Carlingford. And at the end of, I think it was seven years, he, get, he uh, Taff got... Um, Lord Carlingford got 10,000 acres 
and Bellew got none. And he had had quite substantial lands in Louth, but it was very hard to get them back in Louth because Louth was a resettlement area for Cromwellian soldiers. And there were a lot of people trying to grab land. And in fact, Charles II's younger brother, who became James II, he also acquired 10,000 acres in Louth. Mm-hmm. So in lieu of his bill, um, John Bellew got Barmeath, which was then occupied by a Cromwellian soldier, and 2,000 acres. And, and so that was a good... That was a good settlement, if you like. Well, it wasn't. It was. It was very good for a Catholic family because mm. very few Catholic families got their land back mm. after um, Cromwell. After Cromwell. Now, much easier after um, the um, Williamite Wars. Mm. That was wasn't really a problem, but that's another story. But. Um, so we were very fortunate to have this John Bellew, who was very able. I'm here in Oxfordshire, and I'm talking to uh, Lord Besborough, uh, the 12th Earl of Besborough. You, you'll be 79 next week. I will. Were you born in Besborough? No, I was no. born in Hindhead in England because my father was uh, in the army and stationed nearby. Okay. And so y- you would have grown up uh, here then, would you? I I went to school in England, but I mostly grew up in County Cork. Um, on uh, my, grand- my father's mother was a Longfield at Castle Mary Cloyne, near Cloyne. And um, so I mostly grew up there at Castle Mary. What was it like? What are your early memories? I think it was very poor Mm. um, and um, very rural. We we went hunting and walking walking after snipe and uh, things like that and chasing rabbits about. But um, we didn't have much culture in uh, in Cloyne in those days. Uh, We didn't go to the cinema very often. Um, I don't suppose I was particularly cultured as a teenager anyway, so... Uh, we didn't have many amusements. We used to we used to celebrate the fact that we had neighbours who had a swimming pool, and we occasionally got invited to that. But um, that was the height of sophistication. Okay. <clears throat> now the the Besboros, uh your background. Uh, can you fill me in a bit on your history? Well, we're a, we're, a, we're we're a lot of um, squires from Cumbria or Cumberland, used to be called near um, Egremont. So on the west coast of of Cumbria, mm-hmm. and one of <clears throat> one of my ancestors in about 1650 went raised a regiment of horse, uh, is the story, and it's all in the family history here, and um, <clears throat> went to Ireland to fight with Cromwell, I think. Uh, dare we say that? And then they <clears throat> they got given a grant of lands, and then they got a succession of titles, and they they worked in. Um, various um, offices of state uh, in Ireland and also then later in England. Okay, and <coughs> during the Confederate Wars, when, when they were, uh, when your ancestors fought with Cromwell, were they high-ranking, were they? Well, I think the, um, <clears throat> the first one to do that, really, was a fairly high-ranking soldier, which is why he was given a grant of lands. So the, 
the first one who wasn't wasn't the Earl of Besbury, he was he was John Punsonby from um, Cumbria, but he he was given a grant of lands, and the family history tells us that um, another officer was jealous of this, and so he did a swap. And yeah. when the Ormonds came back into power, the other chap was thrown out, and my lot kept their bit of land, which is in in Kilkenny. Um, and 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 then they built then they built a house called Besborough, um, probably because one of the wives was called Elizabeth, so it was Bessborough. Oh, I see. It was gutted. It was burnt down. It by... wasn't completely gutted, yes. but it was burnt down by the IRA in the troubles in in 1920. Uh, 2021. Why do you think they're burnt? Us? Well, they burnt an awful lot of Anglo-Irish houses. Okay. Um, well, was there any particular reason why they burnt Besborough? I don't know. I really don't know. Okay. I, I know that my grandmother's house in near Cloyne at Castle Mary, um, which her parents were in at the time, um, we we have a we have a letter for addressed to my father from the local undertaker in Middleton called called Hyde, Mr Hyde, and he wrote a letter to my father saying that, that they didn't uh, have any particular animosity towards the family, but they were worried that it was using, being used as a garrison. I see. That was in the case of Castle Mary, but I don't yeah. know the, the yeah. background to the Besborough fire. I see. But <coughs> both properties were burnt. Both, both my father's, um, yeah. Grandfathers and uh, so my father's mother and father both had their family houses burnt. Yeah. Temple House in County Sligo has been lived in by the Percival family for over 350 years. It's surrounded by a thousand acres of woodland and domain, and that's where I met and spoke to Sandy Percival. I'm here in Temple House in County Sligo and I'm talking to Sandy Percival. And Sandy, thank you for for inviting me and, and this is absolutely lovely to be with nice you this morning. You. Yes. Tell me about Temple House. How far back does it go? Well, the castle was built by the Knights Templar. Uh, they built a tower house and they moved in about 1200. And then as you look down from here, there's a tower entrance front which was built by the O'Haras in 1560. They were dispossessed in 1580 and it was granted to the goods and then the Croftons came and built okay. a brick house in 1627. Uh, George Percival married Mary Crofton in 1665 and except for a few years after the famine, we've been here since. Oh, that's, that's an amazing uh, length of time for, for the one family to... Yes. To live in in this area, have you lived here all your life? No, I was born in South India. My father was a tea planter, and we came back when I was eight and a half. I went to school in Dublin at Castle Park and then Columbus. But this is a grand entrance. It, it is. This we moved up from the castle. The family moved up to two stories over a basement in 1760. And then the colonel enlarged the house in 1825. And it's a long story, but when the place was brought back after the famine, this entrance front was built on 1864. Yes, indeed. And it, it's, it's very impressive, isn't it? It, it is, yeah. with the portico. And, and tell me about the stone. The, limestone. It's limestone from Ballastadere, which was cut to 
a pattern. Uh, I'll show you the coach yard later. There's very little chips of stone in the ground around the house or the castle because it was cut to pattern in the quarry and delivered in 11 horse carts. Uh, now, of course, this is, a, this is a stone front on a brick building inside it. Yeah. Oh, I'm so looking forward to, to going in and seeing the portraits, the family portraits. Yes. Oh, magnificent hallway. My goodness. Yes, it's a mixture of old and new. You've got an Irish elk going back about 11,000 years. And the new would be the whole table, um, which was made in Dublin about 1980. And we've got the um, shells from a collection from the Pacific and some um, stuffed birds, which... Now, that is actually my mother's bear. She was 17 and yeah. travelling by boat from Australia to, uh, back to England when she called into Bombay. And my uncle, great-uncle was chief of police in what's now Uttar Pradesh. And she went to stay with him for a bit. And he said, if you're going to stay in India, you've got to learn to shoot. And three weeks later, so he gave her a 2-2, Three weeks later, she was in a Mashan watching a tiger shoot with the Maharaja. And this bear um, came bumbling out of the jungle and climbed the ladder. And when it was front paws were on the platform, a small platform that she and her aunt were on, Aunt Sylvia, who's a good shot, just froze. She, she had a 303, she could have killed it easy. But mum put the gun into its eye, it shot it in the eye didn't kill it, but it threw his head back and the extra weight on the rung of the bottom rung of the ladder broke and rolled down and uh, Uncle finished it off. That's oh. an unusual story. Oh, yes, it is. But, and yeah. to have the, the trophy on, yes, on the wall. Yeah. Is, is and she was only else. 17, yeah. And she was only se- but she saved her, their lives, yeah. Burdown House at High in County Kildare is the home of the Fennell family, and that's where I met Leslie Fennell, who spoke to me about her childhood days growing up with her grandmother, the Wilson Slater family, in Whitehill, Edwardstown, in County Longford. I was born um, in I-43 in the middle of the war. So at that stage, the men, the fathers were all away at the war, and um, the mothers were probably being nursing nursing or, or driving lorries, trucks, army vehicles, I don't know, all of them, but some of them were. My mother was nursing, um, and we all lived with my cousins and my mother and my aunts and my grandmother in my grandmother's house in Hampshire in England at that stage, because my mother was English, my father was Irish. Okay, I w- so here in... Ireland in in Longford, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Where where was the house? It was um, three miles outside Edgewood It was called White Hill, and it was bought by the when my grandmother died. It was bought by the Land Commission in 1960, and was completely obliterated <laughs> off the face of the landscape, um, except for the lodge 
which was a sort of Victor- big Victorian lodge on, with a house either side and a little walkway across the middle. Probably hideous, but um, we loved it. It had a great long avenue, about a mile long. Yeah. And um, it wasn't a particularly beautiful house. It was sort of castellated, Victorianized, um, probably quite ugly, but we loved it. <laughs> um, and um, we went there every summer, and we went there sometimes at Christmas and or Easter. And so we were half the time in England, half the time in Ireland, really, basically. And so it, the house, was it, it was it built by the Welches? Who originally no, built no, it? No, no, no. It belonged to my gra- my grandmother's family, who were Wilson Slaters. Um, actually, I, d- I don't know who originally built it. I mean, I, uh, the, it, I'm, actually, I really don't know. I, my mm-hmm. brother would probably know. Mm-hmm. Um, but they'd been there. You know, quite a long time, as far as I know, and and maybe there was probably a previous house before it, but it had the most beautiful yard, the most amazing yard, um, with a sort of high wall all round it and a lovely sort of arched entrance, and the stables were all, um, you know, the old ones where mm. the stable was inside and they were all cobbled, and um, it was an idyllic place. I'm here in Oxfordshire and I'm talking to Morris Fitzgerald, the Duke of Leinster, and it's lovely to be here in your company. Okay. Tell me about your titles. How many titles have you? Uh, I've never really counted them up, but uh, starting from the bottom uh, is, um, is Baron Offaly and Baron Kildare, Viscount Leinster of Taplow. Then it'll be the Earl of Kildare, the Earl of Offaly, Marcus of Kildare, and Duke of Leinster. I think your your family tree goes back to. Well, we 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 arrived in Ireland sort of uh, in the early eleven hundreds. Uh, no, the castle I was brought up into was they filled, finished building that in eleven eighty, but we we had been there for a number of years before that. Of what castle? That Kilkay, which is on the, what I call the the Carlow-Kildare border, between two towns called Castle Dermot and Kildare. And as Castle Dermot was a big centre of education way before the Normans came, um, uh, it was a, one of the main okay. uh, places of education. So, uh, you're the ninth Duke? Yeah. And can you tell me your uh, your connection exactly? If you go back, your father. What was your father's name? Gerald. We were very boring. We didn't have very many Christian names. It was all Gerald, Thomas, or Robert, or <laughs> things like that. There are a few that break the break the trend, but uh, we were quite boring, and we only ever had most of us only ever had one Christian name. <laughs> yes. We never. Yeah, yeah. And, and the so your grandfather he was the interesting man. He was the fifth Duke of Leinster, but he was the Marcus of. He of would would have been Kildare. the Marcus, yeah. But he would have been a lot. Uh, there were an awful lot more Mark. Oh no, there wouldn't have been. The Marcuses would have been the same number uh, as the Dukedom, as they were both formed fairly close to each other, because when Emily Gordon Lennox married 
the then Earl of Kildare, her godfather became was was the then George. I think George Third, yes. and he. I I always say that he didn't like his goddaughter being married to a mere earl. So the duke it was promoted quickly up to dukedom. <laughs> so I don't know whether that's true, but uh, I always felt that uh, he didn't like he like his goddaughter being married to just a uh, a mere earl. <laughs> George Stackpool, well known for his antique shop in Adair and his television appearances. I spoke to George at his home in Ballinacorty in County Limerick and there we looked over some old family photograph albums and he pointed out his grandfather's house, Edenville, and the gardens there in County Clare. That, that's, that was the garden hmm. at, at Edenville. Oh, yes. Which was all terraced down to the lake. And it's going to be fully restored, which is so exciting. The, the greenhouse just isn't there, but it's going to all be rebuilt. It's so exciting to see it all coming together again. So, I mean, here we are, Castle Crown, Lothaclare House. I mean, it gives you an insight, these albums, into the sort of... The, the, the early part of the 20th century, end of the night, you know. Yeah. And Italy was obviously a place where they all went, the gentry all went off for their holidays and whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maidenhead to the rowing and... There's father again. And and you see that they the fascinating look. Going on picnic. Think, look at their dress from today. Yes. <laughs> we all dress minimally now. They were all in thick tweed coats and whatever. That's. But it, but it gives you an insight, I think, into a family life or whatever. There they are shooting in 1909 at Edenville. So it's. Uh, Anyway, there we are again in cars and there's cricket. Cricket, cricket, I think people don't realise, was the most played sport in Ireland in the 1900s. Uh, and is is that because, was it the, yeah, the, the, the British, house? Yeah, the big house and the military. Were, and and the, the military were here, of course. Yeah. I mean, the British Army were, were stationed around. But it was uh, more people played cricket than anything else. I mean, you forget about hurling and all the rest of it. It was sort of unknown in those days. It was cricket. I'm here in County Sligo, just outside Sligo in uh, uh, Mark Ree Castle, and I'm with Charles and Mary Cooper. And it's lovely to be here uh, in the um, uh, in the gardener's house. <laughs> yes. Um, and so it it's it's quite a difference it must be an extraordinary difference to you to be living here now after after so many years in the castle well yeah so. <laughs> yes i mean we were brought up in a wing we know i i was four when they closed down the main house and we moved into a wing and i was brought up in the wing basically along with my siblings there's five of us i'm the youngest and um 
then we, we ended up here, never expected to, but we have. So would you describe the, the castle? Is, is there another castle in the country like it? Uh, Lismore Castle, for example. How different are they? Well, Lismore is smaller. Yeah. And there are, there are a few as big as Markery, I think, in, in, in the country. I can't yeah. relate it to anything. Yeah. Um, and how did it become... How many bedrooms in it? At, at, well, when we ran it as a hotel, we had 30 bedrooms all in the main building. I mean, it, it is big. Yeah. And then uh, the dining rooms and all the ancillary. Um, yeah. It was, lived in, it was lived in as a full castle the full ca- for a very short period of time. In that, when did you say the last the brick? The last brick was added in 1895. Which is on the, yeah. you know, engraved. And the first room was closed up in 1902. Yeah. Now that's, that's how really short period it was lived in as a full a full house yeah. basement, seven years basement entirely in the kitchens down in the basements they were the first thing to move up into yeah. um, upstairs so my grandfather died in the Boer War yes and my uh, my great grandfather sorry my grandfather was very young he was in his teens so he didn't that's when they started closing it up and then of course the various land acts and window acts and so on so I imagine the income started declining at that point so they started closing it up. So it it, it was shedding its yes. life, mm. if you like, yes. all, all that time. Yeah. yeah. And even when you had it as a hotel, did you have it running as using all the rooms? Or? No, we never no, used. No, we never got the whole thing used. No. Yeah. No. Much. <laughs> we were heavy well, for it. It, it was built initially yeah. uh, to to guard the river. It, it, it was yeah, the we river. believe the the river, the Unchen, yeah. which drains like Arrow, yeah. was the river, and there is a ford there, um, uh, and we believe it was built by the McDonoughs guarding the ford. The river, the yeah. river does quite a bend there. Yeah. So the 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 river, the castle, sort of sitting and it's surrounded on nearly three sides yeah. by yeah. by the river. Yeah. So it is naturally a. a Defensive, defensive position. position. Yeah. position. It, it yeah. is, but it's also yes, it's it, it's also uh, aesthetically um, a very beautiful castle. Mm. Uh, but, but there, to to beauty to in the eyes of the press, isn't, isn't it? <laughs> or, or, or would you say both? Or I think that the houses competed, didn't they, throughout Ireland? And I think there was a big competition with Burr. I always feel there's a big competition here with Burr, particularly in that we had a suspension bridge. We had an, an observatory, you know, so yeah. the, those two houses, I think, must have really vied, vied against each other yeah. to be bigger and better than each other. And they did have a and bigger telescope than Burr at one point. The telescope here was bigger than Burr. It, wasn't, it was a different was type. Now, I don't know, but people say that one, I don't know which is better, one was a reflector and one was a refractor. I don't know the difference. So yeah. whilst Burr made it be bigger, it wasn't better. Oh, where is the telescope here now? Ah, oh, well, now that's interesting. It was there was a uh, it was sold, and I heard it went to the University of Manila in the Philippines. In the twenties. Oh, it travelled a long way. It travelled a long way. I don't know how it got there. It ended up, I I believe, in Singapore in the outbreak yeah. of the Second World War. Yeah. And the Japanese thought it was a gun, and they destroyed it. <laughs> Yeah. Really? Yeah. Uh, that's what I'm told. Yeah. I've no reason to doubt it. But you you were able to track it down to, mm-hmm. yes. to there. To but but the, the, um, 
magnifying glass, I think, still, yeah. still exists, yeah. and that's still in yeah. the Philippines. I'm here in a, a lovely village, Bampton, uh, in uh, Oxfordshire, and I'm talking to Lord Dunamore. Knocklofty House and Estate in County Tipperary was the home of the Earls of Donamore for hundreds of years. I spoke to the current Earl, Michael Healy Hutchinson. Can I talk to you first about your, uh, your background and the title? Well, I suppose you could say the family started its more modern history with the Provost, who was Provost of Trinity College. And uh, What was his name? He, I think he was called John, and he uh, he got the first title, and he was a, a TD, and obviously quite eminent in, in Irish politics at the time. We were talking about seventeen hundred or something like that, and uh, he was the sort of start of the family, really. Okay, and the modern version of it, anyway. And the family seat. Is in is in uh, in Tipperary, near Clonmel. And uh, my family got the, the land. I'm under, I've always understood um, at the time of the uh, when the I think it was Henry the Eighth was abolishing the Catholic establishments and stealing the money from the Catholics, if you like, and. Among other things, he gave something like 10,000 acres of land in Tipperary to my ancestors and bought their farm in Norfolk. And in exchange for for, for the 10,000 acres, he had to be prepared to, to produce 50 soldiers when required which wasn't very often, but it did happen, I believe. <laughs> During the Troubles in, Nor in Northern Ireland, uh, your parents were kidnapped by the they IRA. They were, yes. Do you remember? You remember very well, I'm oh, sure, that time. It's written hard into my memory. <laughs> Where were you living at that time? I was in Paris at the time okay. when we heard about it. And, of course, we flew straight to Ireland to to see if there was anything we could do to help, which wasn't much. But it didn't last very long. They were kidnapped for about four or five days, I think. Yeah. And uh, then they were released, we understand, by the offices of the Pope. Mark would probably know more about it than I do. I see, yeah. But um, my understanding is that the, the Pope brought pressure to bear on the head of the church in Ireland who apparently knew who these people were and told them they'd be excommunicated if they didn't release my parents immediately because the Pope was a friend of my father, personal friend. And my father used to go and see him several times a year to discuss how they could bring the churches a bit closer to each other. And uh, so when my father was kidnapped, the Pope was rather shocked. The Landed Gentry in Ireland Oral History Collection is a collection of 26 oral history recordings and have recently been posted on our webpage. My name is Boris O'Keefe and I look forward to bringing you another podcast soon.